Hello, welcome back to Meraki Unboxed. My name's Simon Thompson, host of the show. It's great to have you back once again, and thanks for taking some time out to join us uh, on this episode. Uh, we are today focusing on what's happening in the world of education in 2020, and we've definitely got a couple of fantastic guests who are going to be joining us in just a few moments to get into that discussion. Now, before we get there, I just want to do a quick reminder for you. Meraki Unboxed is a podcast we run every couple of weeks. So if you're a subscriber, you should know that already. We've got a whole bunch of great episodes in the can already on a number of different topics. They've aged very well. So do go back and have a look at the archive if you're interested in learning more about our technology and also the, the people that make this business tick and some of the fantastic guests that we've had on as well. I would love to have you involved in this show. And in fact, our guests today uh, definitely reached out and were very enthusiastic about joining us on this podcast. And so, you know, you as a listener, you are an important part of this process. If you'd like to participate or just submit an idea for an episode, reach out to me on Twitter. You can find me at Meraki Simon, at Meraki Simon, one word. And uh, I'm very, very happy to hear from you there. Just give us some feedback. Let us know what you think of the show, what you'd like us to do on there. We will definitely try and accommodate you. Okay, so let's get into the episode for today. And as I said, we've got a, a couple of esteemed guests joining us uh, today uh, from higher education establishments across the country. Uh, so let's get into that straight away. Um, Shai, um, you're on the left on my screen, so I'm going to start with you. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Please introduce yourself. Uh, thank you, Simon. Uh, my name is Shai Sildman. I'm the Director of Network Services for San Jose State University in the heart of Silicon Valley in San Jose, California. Uh, Part of uh, my job is uh, essentially uh, oversight of the campus uh, network infrastructure, which includes uh, networking, it includes wireless, uh, security cameras, unified communications, and uh, probably other things that run off of PoE. The whole gamut. Yeah, it, yeah. We we were talking about PoE before we hit the record button. I know you're a big fan of uh, of of the low power concept. Is that right? Uh, oh, sure. I'm the second power provider on campus. Uh, our facility does the the high voltage, 120 volts, and uh, I'm providing a, a whole lot of uh, 48 volts. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks, Shai. We'll come back to you very soon. Um, Nick, welcome. Hi, uh, Simon. Um, my name is Nick Pappen, and I'm the Director of Information Technology for Washington State University's Extension Program. Right. Um, so we operate uh, facilities in all 39 counties in Washington. Uh, we have four large-scale research farms, and we have another dozen or so research outposts. And we partner with one tribe. Do you want to explain a little bit more about what that is? That's going to be new, certainly new to me. Tell us a little bit about that one. So extension is the way that... Washington State University fulfills its mission for outreach, um, being a land-grant university. Mm -hmm. So we provide programs to sort of democratize our research directly to the citizens of Washington, mm -hmm. as well as doing programs like 4-H and uh, SNAP-Ed. So. Okay. I don't think, I mean, I don't know very much about any of these programs, not being in the in the field of education at all. Maybe just describe the kinds of programs that those are. Sure. So 4-H does a robotics competition in some of our counties where we take Lego Mindstorms equipment and have programs to sort of teach basic mechanical concepts of, you know, here's how a lever works mm -hmm. or here's 
how a screwdriver would work on a Lego motor and then builds competitions for kids to sort of work together in teams to build unique Lego little objects. So it's really so a sort that's of that's one give, example. It's like a giving back thing. Yeah. So extension is all about how do we democratize and provide the research that Washington State University is doing to the people of Washington and beyond. Mm, awesome. Okay. Well, so we've got some pretty large uh, organizations here and our IT specialists from those two organizations. I guess I would love to understand a little bit about the kind of projects that you respectively typically get involved in on the IT side of things. Shai, give us some examples of the kind of stuff that keeps you busy. There's uh, always the aspect of uh, campus operations and in ensuring that we are fulfilling our primary mission of education. A lot of our projects come from refreshing of technology as we're building new buildings, ensuring that we go through both the design process and the programming cons aspect of the building and being heavily involved into the construction to the point that when we do have to install a technology, it's actually part of the design and not an afterthought mm. of those buildings. And then also there's a whole aspect that we do with trying to innovate and in digital transformation. Another key aspect for us, being we're in a downtown environment, also is uh, looking at campus and student safety. Okay, that's a big one. Obviously, that'll be part of our uh, conversation today as well. Yeah, so digital transformation is a really interesting one. It means so many different things to different people. What does it mean in your world? I've defined digital transformation and sort of the innovation as twofolds. One of them is an enablement of technology for consumption. And the other one, too, is really kind of the ability to change human behavior through the interaction with the environment. Mm -hmm. Okay. And we, we all want to do that. I think that's one of the things that we focus on, certainly with the Meraki technology, is trying to figure out what we can take in from the physical world and to help inform how you can provide better experiences. So in your case, I guess, as you said, through learning. Through learning, but, but also engagement. It's how people engage with the technology, how people engage with the environment, and have we been successful in modifying their behavior because of the way that we implement technology? And, and I think those are some of the KPIs that you kind of look at as like, what does success actually look like for digital transformation or, mm -hmm. or for innovation? Mm -hmm. I guess if we do it right with digital, then it's, it's supposed to be a little bit easier to measure and establish that success and those KPIs, hopefully. So I think challenging, at least uh, that I see in general in higher ed, is that Every three years, the way that students perceive and consume technology changes. Mm -hmm. So I think that's kind of an interesting thing because we have to kind of stay ahead of trying to understand, you know, how do the freshmen coming in, what are their expectations and what they might consume? Give me an example of that. Years ago, uh, everybody was on Facebook. Now Facebook, for example, is not something that our students heavily use. I mean, this is like where the parents are hanging out. <laughs> right. Uh, so... Uh, right. I mean, they're more into using TikTok, using WhatsApp, using different kind of applications. And they, for example, might be less about textual messaging and more about sharing videos in this example. Which, of course, is a bit of a headache for anybody trying to run a network. Right. <laughs> Just trying to support the capacity for all of that. I mean, in higher ed, I think generally we run a very large entertainment networks. <laughs> Interesting way of thinking about it. What about in your case, Nick? Give us a sense of the kind of projects and dynamics that you, you see. A large project that I've been working on over the last four years is actually integrating our sites throughout Washington. So WSU mm -hmm. operates five campuses spread throughout Washington. 
but we've got all these county offices and these research sites. So how do we make it so that our employees that are remote from Pullman all the time mm-hmm. have a single WSU experience? They're able to you know, access the file shares the same way. They're able to get to their email the same way. They're yep. able to, you know, utilize WSU libraries. Mm-hmm. So the big project for us has been behaving like one university. Yeah, um, consistent experience. That's been the largest sort of overarching project that's consumed four years at this point. So yeah, uh, well, it's a lot, and of course, we're at a time in history in tech where things are migrating all the time to cloud-based services. So less reliance on local data center-based services. Where where do you see yourselves on that kind of continuum? So we are aggressively moving towards online storage right now. Mm-hmm. Um, we were sort of pushed into that recently. You know, we use Microsoft Teams for our storage and, you know, not needing to be on a VPN to be able to securely access your storage is something that really is starting to help us in our business processes so that a person can be in Indiana and access resources like they are in Washington. But it is an interesting point, isn't it? That if you're trying to provide consistent experience, but the connections are going to, you know, specific services, that's got to be a little bit of a challenge to try and tie it all together. Because at some point, you've got to have a portal or something like that, I'm assuming, to, to pull it together. Yeah, so I started off talking about this, you know, I'm the director of IT for Extension, but our Extension program is actually housed inside of the College of Agriculture, Human and Natural Resource Sciences, often called Connors. Mm-hmm. at WSU. So we actually get the benefit of leveraging things that Shai and his compatriots would actually make for the central university. Mm-hmm. And we as the college get to consume it. So we get that unified experience by leveraging our partnerships inside the university. Right. Okay. Obviously, um, Although this is an audio thing, uh, we're, we're all connected on video. We can see that we're in our respective homes right now, right? So we're, we're all connected remotely. And of course, this is the theme of 2020 for so many of us to have adapted our working lives. And, and I think that's one of the topics I really was interested in talking about, the regular projects that we're working on. But what happened back in March time? And maybe take us through how you sort of had to adapt, uh, presumably very quickly, to a very rapidly unfolding situation Nick, maybe you start us off with that one. Sure. So from the education sort of component of the college and extension and the university, we have Zoom. So obviously mm-hmm. we've I've moved, heard of it. Uh, we've moved a lot of things onto Zoom, including all of our classes. And we're actually going to continue doing synchronous online learning this fall. We sort of have had that quick migration, which fortunately we were well positioned for already, Mm -hmm. for moving folks from our offices to their home offices. A lot of that, we again, leverage partnerships with the Central University to use their VPN service. Mm -hmm. Um, But we've also, you know, purchased teleworker units for people who need maybe more native access to the network. One example is it's not super easy to join a computer to a domain when you aren't on campus. So how do we actually do that over a VPN? Our solution was we actually grabbed a Z3. 
So right, yeah. So that, and that's the interesting thing is that we know that although you can do so much with these, you know, SSL direct connections to cloud services, there's usually a limit somewhere. There's usually something that you need to be able to get that direct access for. It's a very long time since I've tried to join a computer to a domain. I have to say, but I remember that from back in the day, and and yes, can be definitely be a bit of a headache. Um, Shai, tell us what happened with um, San Jose State when uh, when this thing hit back in March. It was just an amazing transformation. Uh, I have to give credit to so many people at the university at so many levels just coming together to sort of make this transition. In all fairness, this probably started a few years ago where the university made a, a really good investment into uh, moving things to the cloud. Mm. So a good amount of our student-facing systems uh, were already in the cloud. We pretty much took some time to help uh, the faculty uh, learn how to use Zoom, how to conduct classes via Zoom. And from there on, we transitioned to the remote modality. I'm just so proud of how much focus was there to take care of our students and help them. And it really became uh, not just about moving to remote modality, but it's really making sure that our students know that we care and it's all about them. Uh, and same for our staff. You know, we moved everyone to work from home and we needed to make sure that our staff was safe and okay. The biggest thing for our campus that we really saw is we just saw a bump in uh, how many concurrent VPN clients sure. were connecting all of a sudden overnight. Yeah, uh, We were fortunate we were able to ramp up to a device that can easily support uh, 10,000 connections, which is more than we needed. And we kind of better understand now, like, what is really the new modality consumption for the VPN service? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what, what kind of things are using the VPN um, requiring? Because we were talking about you know VPN versus the, the regular cloud connections. So we have uh, a couple things. For example, there's a big change. Uh, we have uh, call centers that now have to work remotely. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in order to get them, so we have a good amount of users for our call centers uh, using Jabber that need to VPN in to connect. Uh, there's still a good amount of like laboratories and services that just use inside of a campus where you need access. And obviously for IT, administrative access to systems, uh, there's a good amount of, of need for that, including some remote desktops. Uh, some people sure. just need to remotely connect to the desktops because that's where the applications are set up. It's fully configured and works, and it's just an easier way for them to uh, to use things. Yeah, and we, we were talking... Yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Nick. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, we've got all of the exact same things that are happening. I mean, remote desktop, lots of things are still tied directly to IPs. The other beautiful digitization of the business is really like how much we've moved to DocuSign. And our ability to take uh, different processes and forms and really digitize it uh, in a way that made it uh, easy and more efficient for everyone. We saw some processes change into that direction as well. I wanted to ask you about that because um, I've used that tool and I think of it literally as signing a document and sending it back and a tool to do that. But I'm sure it's remit spreads out a little bit further than that. What are some of the other use cases for that? The cool thing about DocuSign is you have the ability to like take forms and have it be essentially a digital form. And you can also have workflows, for example, that may go to uh, my boss for first level approval and then to his boss for second level approval for different things like that. So it's not just about the signing, but it's actually about uh, being able to digitize workflows as well. Mm. So let's talk about some of the the things which were definitely challenging uh, when this all happened both for the students and their experiences um, but also for you know faculty and for yourselves of course in IT as well Nick how did things pan out or you know what were some of the challenges you had to overcome as we got into this thing 
Yeah, so the direct challenges, you know, we really sort of already touched on them a lot, but one of the things that Extension is sort of uniquely positioned to do, and we sort of started working on immediately, was we went to our state broadband office and worked with them to start building drive-in Wi-Fi hotspots for our students mm, to right. be able to access WSU services sort of natively, meaning, you know, you can get access to the WSU library system. And this is really sort of compounded with the whole rural broadband problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's sort of our little stick in the sand of, hey, we're, we're going to help out as, where we can. And we've seen some adoption of it and think that we'll continue to see more adoption of it. So we got our first wave of equipment actually deployed in mid-April so that we could support students who needed to do finals. Mm. And what kind of physical locations are we talking about where these get deployed? With extension, a lot of times it's actually tied into the county level government. So it may be in a county administrative building mm-hmm. or... Sometimes the relationship is a little bit different where WSU stands alone in its own facility. So we put wireless access points on the outside of the building and um, people could just drive in and, and get connected. Yeah. yeah. So Shai, what about you? I mean, were there some sort of real difficult challenges? How did the students adapt to this environment? Do you feel like they, I mean, obviously they're a lot more tech savvy than some of the older generations, but uh, even so, I'm sure it was a bump. I can speak on this from a slightly different perspective. I also lecture a class uh, for the College of Engineering. So I had the experience of moving my class also to the online learning. I think that it's really hard. I think some difficulties came because the classes started, for example, what do you do when you have uh, group projects and how does that work in this new modality, right? Mm -hmm. Because we can't ask them to get together. And we experienced this too. I mean, we spent so much time on Zoom calls and so many hours. It's not as easy to focus. Uh, There's a lot of of distractions. I think it takes a lot of concentration. From teaching, for example, uh, I can't really read body language. Sometimes as you're talking to students, I mean, you can kind of see that somebody's nodding their head or you read some facial expressions and you can look at them and say, I think maybe I didn't explain this well. You know, (laughs) how do I take this? Right. So uh, I mean, I think it's very hard. You know, we took the, the human to human interaction out. And I think it's very hard for people. It certainly Uh, requires a lot of concentration, doesn't it? I think on everybody's part to do it on video. Yes, I mean, uh, it is. And of course, I mean, I think there's general issues, I think, with Zoom that people weren't quite prepared for. Uh, For example, internet providers had a hard time with the volume of increase all of a sudden. So Mm -hmm. people weren't necessarily being able to hear or be heard well. Uh, So there's some of those technicalities. Uh, And also, I think there's about teaching people that, yes, I know that, you know, you're trying to use Zoom and sometimes Zoom doesn't work well and sometimes having to even support their home PC or network and and help them understand, you know, you, you need to really not run 50 applications because that actually consumes CPU. Right. Those are some of the very basic issues that I think uh, we had to kind of get over to get people to understand things that they never had to even really think about. Mm. Yeah, the one that I always, first thing I always ask friends and family who are having issues of any kind in this situation is, I kind of hunt out anything which might be impacting upstream bandwidth because as we know all these internet connections almost all of them are asynchronous in nature and it's quite often that upstream that's causing the challenges so you know are you trying to send a massive email or uh, you know streaming data at the same time to multiple locations how how many videos are you uploading to youtube right now <laughs> right yes yeah, so that's a nasty one that that one is very hungry 
and I think the ISPs were caught somewhat unprepared a little bit because a lot of times they countered an oversubscription because they knew that they didn't have to overprovision. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden it was like, oh, wow, not everybody's on and everybody's online. And some of the ISPs I'm aware of, they've all invested quite a bit to bring the infrastructure up to spec to, to make this better. Yeah. Yeah, that's been. I think there's been a good response. I have to say that although I hear of people having issues um, periodically, if I look on the whole, like across certainly at the Meraki folks, um, you know, we we obviously have the same kind of environment. We're working together online through screens, almost all day, every day. It feels like, and uh, overwhelmingly, it's all worked extremely well. There's been uh, good support, I think, from the ISPs to to keep things going. Yeah. You know, and, and, and then for from IT, you know, we've been able to pretty much, you know, work remote, you know, very, very well, mm-hmm. keeping in touch more. We're still getting a lot done. Uh, actually, uh, we've even been able to pick up some projects that were backburnered and be able to pay some attention to them because we've had more focus. Mm-hmm. On other aspects, I enjoy seeing my kids all the time. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm start, I'm, I get to experience a lot more of the little moments that uh, you don't generally get to experience. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. You got to look at the cup half full side of things, and I know that there'll be there's probably some parents listening to this thinking, <laughs> "I wish," or "or they're having a different experience." Um, it's tough for some parents, I think, in this situation, uh, especially if they're working at the same time. But yeah, there's there's always a, a, a shiny side, right? Yeah, I think there's a new term. I think we call it now ZEA that the parents have. It's called the the Zoom executive assistant. I just want to make it clear to all listeners that there are other video conferencing systems available <laughs> as well. <laughs> Welcome back to Cisco Meraki Unboxed. Um, all right, so let's get on. I, I, hey, Zoom, it's become part of the vocabulary, almost like uh, Google's become a verb. It's just one of those things. Whatever keeps us connected, that's what matters. Yep. Yes. So let's turn attention to the new academic year. Obviously, uh, this is the moment um, that, that uh, we've all been waiting for, and uh, it's a tough one, for sure. In, in 2020, we're obviously not going back to uh, anything like a normal academic year, and that's the same for everybody in all the walks of life. I'm sure you've had a lot of time and to be thinking about sort of potential uh, ways to handle all of this during the, the summer recess and probably even before that as well. So I'm really interested to understand a little bit about First of all, what is the reality for your respective organizations? But also, you know, some of the technical solutions that you've been uh, either implementing or thinking about implementing to try and help with this uh, situation. Who'd like to kick that one off? It's a big one. Yes. So uh, our university pretty much went to the online modality for the semester. So we're starting with remote. This is true for all universities. There's some classes that don't lend themselves, the pedagogy-wise, to remote learning. Mm. It's like, how do you do biology and chemistry labs? How do you deal with art classes, music classes, dance classes? And we all recognize that we need to do better. But uh, I think that what we're seeing right now is is there's a lot of changes. Uh, So we're kind of watching what the state is doing, what the county health department is doing. And we're really trying to figure out what's the best and the right thing to do. And as those changes, the situation changes. Uh, But in general, we're teaching all the classes remote at this point. Right. Uh, Nick, how are you starting off the year? Yeah, so we're starting off the year fully remote as well, doing synchronous learning online. Uh, with very, very few exceptions for in-person classes. And largely our, so I I mentioned the drive-in Wi-Fi, we're planning to continue another wave of those sites that hopefully will be up by Labor Day. You know, for us, 
at least in, in extension, were sort of isolated from the direct academic uh, environment of the university. Mm-hmm. But I also worked for the College of Agriculture at WSU and we're trying to figure out how do you teach, yeah. you know, how you teach animal sciences when it's all online. So Shai hit all of the topics just on the nose pretty much. Yeah. We realized that there may be some people who want to get access to wireless. So we took one of our parking lots, we pulled fiber and installed outdoor wireless on there. Uh, essentially students can sit in the comfort and safety of their cars and have access uh, to wireless. And, and also, I mean, we're kind of thinking like more globally uh, and we're also advertising the edgy room at network. So pretty much any student who comes from an edgy room facility would be able to essentially leverage that location. This is a, a kind of a syndicated type of solution, Edgerome. I've heard of it before. Just remind yeah. us what that is. So Edgerome is really a federated LDAP uh, is really what it is mm-hmm. uh, between all the institutions that join Edgerom. And if they advertise the Edgerom uh, network, anybody who belongs to an Edgerom, uh, and it's generally education and research driven, are able to log on. And the whole thought is, as people go from different campus to different campus or to research institutions, really trying to solve the whole onboarding problem. The fact is that, you know, you can pretty much have Edgerom set up and whatever campus you go to, you're on the network. Nice. And so presumably that means the benefit of being on Edgerome is that you can more easily access certain services, right? Correct. I mean, it's great internationally. I mean, as I've been internationally, it's like whenever there's been Edgerome, uh, I was able to uh, to gain Wi-Fi access, which which has been great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So very often I'm over in Seattle and I'll be up near the University of Washington campus and they operate Edgerome as well. So we can or I can access their network directly. Additionally, we are integrating that with our drive-in Wi-Fi as well. So students who you know, maybe are from Montana or Wyoming can actually connect to these drive-in Wi-Fi hotspots Mm -hmm. that are spread throughout the state. You know, we're aiming to get one into pretty much every county in Washington. That's awesome. So it doesn't then matter so much where you are, you can still do your remote learning. But what about any ideas around... Obviously, we've got to think at some point about coming back to life as normal in, in all our walks of life, same in the business world. How do we bring people safely back into the office? And, you know, how do we bring students safely back into the campus? Where's the thinking going on that? Sort of any any uh, any sort of technical ideas you've been bouncing around there? Sure. And I want to be clear, some of this are kind of in early testing phases, but we're uh, leveraging a platform called DNA Spaces. And we're trying to see how well we can use uh, wireless, for example, to count the number of wireless devices that are in a building or a floor in an area and uh, be able to potentially produce some sort of alerting Mm -hmm. or or communication. Uh, Again, I mean, the focus here is really about making the data available and uh, for consumption. It's really up to the use cases how we want to consume them. But one of the things that we've kind of uh, also realized with that is that wireless is going to have limited accuracy ability because and not everyone necessarily may have their wireless device on, mm-hmm. or there could be the example of that maybe you're sitting in, in a meeting room or a conference room, uh, and out of respect for the presenter, potentially only the presenter has technology turned on. So how do we account for that? And, and that's where we, we started kind of also looking at some of the cameras that have the ability to do people counting. 
So we are uh, currently uh, experimenting and looking at the Meraki MV cameras, mm -hmm. uh, which also connect into uh, DNA spaces. And they have the ability to essentially uh, use an API's integrate uh, right from the Meraki console into DNA spaces. And we can uh, put it uh, about eight feet back from the door, uh, looking at the door uh, from the top, and we can draw a trigger line with direction. And then the cameras uh, could do a pretty good job of counting how many people come in and out of the building at that point. And you can kind of group cameras together, potentially, uh, if you have multiple doors. And the thought behind that is that uh, you could have maybe a better sense of how many people are in a building uh, using the cameras for the exit and entryways. And then you can use wireless, for example, to better assess how many people may be on the floor. And then you're able to provide information depending how people choose to expose this data. For example, if you have an eight-story building uh, with study spaces, you might be able to provide students in, a, in an example like a digital sign that may be able to show you, you know, the building uh, right now is uh, at orange capacity. And if you're looking for spaces, here are the floors. Or you might be able to provide information to students about, in general, which buildings are safe or not safe to go into. Again, I mean, there's uh, certainly operational considerations of how you do that, but we're looking about how do we leverage our technology in order to understand where people are and how to communicate to them whether or not density-wise uh, it's a safe environment. And it's right. kind of a work in progress. It's a lot of beta work and things kind of emerging at a pretty rapid basis to make this happen. It's actually very exciting. To get that done, you said that you were using DNA spaces. Is that using like the webhook APIs to sort of in real time talk out? So the wireless controllers feed uh, data into DNA spaces based on location, uh, meaning as soon as you attach to an access point and you move from one access point to another, it, it does uh, location updates. Mm -hmm. uh, and the cameras uh, also use an API to feed information or actually for DNA spaces to consume information from the cameras using APIs based on those triggers. So very similar uh, to that concept of um, the webhooks approach, right? Yes, and then I, I believe DNA Space has the ability to publish information out uh, using webhooks as well. So far, you know, we've seen that, you know, we can generate some data and now it's really kind of work on the use cases of really how do we consume the data and how does an organization want to potentially expose this data for different uses? A lot of use cases, I, I mean, are possible here. Right. Definitely. And it's very exciting that we have, well, exciting maybe isn't the right word because we're obviously forced into this situation, but from a technology perspective, it's obviously interesting to have that new challenge to to try and address. I mean, we talk about in terms of, of the pandemic, but you have to look at this technology as, I mean, it's kind of an acceleration of the digital transformation. Right. Uh, because yeah. we're now leveraging uh, analytics platforms. We're averaging cameras with uh, AI and ML in them, and we're, we're pulling it all together and there could be a lot of different use cases even post-pandemic. For example, I mean, let's say that I say, hey, you know, I need to go to the bursar office to pay bills. I can look up and we can say, well, it looks like right now there's a line in there and there's 50 people. And maybe I can refer you to some kind of an online scheduling thing to make an appointment, right? I mean, so yeah. I think there's a ton of use cases post-pandemic uh, as far as digitizing campus that are very, very cool. Yeah, I think you're totally right about it being an accelerant for uh, for digital transformation. It's something we've been talking about for years. And now we have a very specific use case. And what it's doing is, of course, it's shining a light on what can be done with this technology and maybe 
people have almost needed that kick to see it come to life. Um, Nick, but, you, but, but, uh, go ahead, Charlie. But in all fairness, this is kind of an emerging product and technology. So, you know, yes. uh, it's, it's really cool to see it kind of coming together as a, the roadmap. And, uh, and, and the nice folks at the DNA Spaces have been working really hard to release code new functionality really fast here to make this possible. Mm. So the word exciting does apply. I mean, certainly from a technology perspective. Nick, you, you talked about wave two. There was a nice Wi-Fi pun in there, but I, I resisted it. Um, wave two of your uh, drive up deployments. Have you got any other technical solutions that you've been thinking about? It goes back to our the big project that I've been working on is sort of this migration to behave like one university. Sort of continuing, we actually haven't stopped integrating our county offices because we have been able to work with our local directors who sort of oversee operations for the offices, and we've been able to ship product directly to them. So we've brought two or three of our county offices actually onto the one university network. Mm -hmm. And it's been easy enough that we've been just over, hate to give another plug here, but uh, over a quick Zoom call. Uh, <laughs> all right, so let's plug this cable in from your internet connection into, you know, internet one. If we need to do IP configurations, go to mymeraki.com. And we actually have leveraged the API in such a way that we have scripts that literally you say, hey, grab all of the unclaimed equipment in the Meraki dashboard mm -hmm. and apply our standard configuration to it. Right. So, you know, configuring MXs, MSs, MRs sort of in real time. And then, you know, all it does is it spits out, hey, here are the CLI commands that we need to provide to our central network team to do the configuration on their equipment right um so for us the return to work is we're continuing this hasn't actually really paused our pace of movement right and it's easy to overlook that because we think about shiny new solutions like uh, stuff that shy was describing but the reality is this is also and obviously i'm a little bit biased but uh it's it's really i think highlighted some of the advantages that the, a meraki type solution a cloud-based solution brings like you now have the ability to service all these different locations that you have with far fewer physical site visits. And and that, as we all know, because I'm sure we've been in this business for a while, um, that was very much a thing. I mean, it was very much a, you needed to be on campus or you had a very kludgy solution that may not work to get connected to a remote site. So I, I think um, some of those benefits have been helping people considerably. And I've heard some great stories around sort of you know, that reduced requirement to go on site, even for things like surveying and, and setting up brand new uh, deployments, you, you know, drop ship the equipment and it's all configured online. So it's just ready to go. They just plug it in. Yeah, that's been a, a big part of my life, actually. So before this situation, I was on the road pretty much one day a week, at least every other week flying either to Seattle or driving somewhere into mm -hmm. the middle of the state. You know, again, we've been able to sort of keep the pace by actually doing a little bit more teleconferencing and uh, have kept moving on our strategy to be one university. Yeah, well, that's great. It's good to hear that in spite of everything that's going on in both your cases, and I'm sure in many cases around the world, um, it is happening. People are doing the best they can, rolling their sleeves up and trying to, to make this the best experience they can for students, for customers, for employees every walk of life we can think of. 
Absolutely. I've seen people come together and work hard to make this uh, better for everyone in, in every way. Awesome. I, well, I think we've done a really good job of getting giving that sense of you know, what's happened and what we want to be uh, doing next. I'll wrap things up now, but any closing thoughts from either of you around sort of what, what you see in front of you and what you're going to be doing imme- immediately as when we hang up after this call, whatever that is. It's almost the weekend, so uh, weekend plans maybe. I actually am a curler, so I uh, unfortunately I have no heavy stones or ice around in this uh, particular month of the year. Right. So unfortunately, that's my sort of favorite pastime. But uh, I'm thinking that I'm going to try and help a buddy finish a house. So, uh, All right. yeah. Keep active any way you can, right? Yep. What about you, Shai? Uh, for me, for the weekend, pretty much just anything that doesn't involve sitting in front of the screen. Amen <laughs> <laughs> oh, to that. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I'm sure we can all relate to that wherever we are. Before we came on this thing, we were talking about uh, shared interest in uh, motorcycles, but we're not going to turn this into a motorcycling episode. That's a whole whole different uh, ballpark. Uh, but but whatever it takes, I think that's what we've got to try and do right now is to get a break from these screens. Uh, I'm sure they're driving us all crazy. Uh, I, I chose a career in IT. I know both of you did exactly the same thing. And, you know, so we signed up for this to some degree, but we all need a, we all need a break from time to time. All right. Well, I'm going to wrap things up now. I want to thank you. Uh, obviously, Shy and Nick, thank you so much for taking time out to join us. It's been a really interesting conversation. What I love about this is that we get to talk about the real world. So obviously, I work at uh, Meraki HQ uh, virtually these days and uh, spend all my time consumed with uh, the products and features and solutions that we have. So I, I love to have conversations with folks who are actually deploying this technology, who are seeing the challenges, who can really illustrate the the pain points and the use cases that that uh, that we can put this technology to, um, and as we've heard, there's there's a lot of effort going on to really try to keep the lights on and to really um, leverage new capabilities to make things as safe as they can be for all of us. Uh, so thanks again for joining us on Rocky Unbox. Just a quick reminder: if you have an idea, if you'd like to be starring on this show. Uh, like the two fine, illustrious gentlemen we've had today, please do reach out to me on Twitter, at Meraki Simon. Send me your thoughts and ideas. Uh, I'd love to get you on here. Uh, Other than that, I will see you back here in a couple of weeks. Thank you so much for joining. Bye for now.